Good afternoon. Could we start our meeting this afternoon by seeing number 252? Maybe someone could start that, please. Number 252. <laughs> today about contentment, and as we go through this hymn, are we content to muse, to think about the cross? Are we content to rest with all our guilt on Jesus laid? Are we content to gaze upon the Lamb? Are we content, in verse 4, to leave all and follow Him? Are we content to go to the Lamb? For wisdom. Let's pray. Let's turn to Psalm chapter 38 for a verse. Psalm 38 and verse 8. It says, I am feeble and sore broken. I have roared by the reason of the disquietness of my heart disquietness of my heart. That would be the discontent from the things that happen in my life, the circumstances. Now, to be content, I think that means that we should be happy with what one has or what we are. And it also means that we should not be desiring something more or different than what we have. Contentment is also being satisfied And also, it's not complaining in the situations that we are in. And so when I am content, I have accepted God's plan for me. And I will trust God completely in every situation of my life. And when I'm content, that gives God the glory. You know, I believe contentment is one of the keys to help you to walk a happy and a productive Christian life. And I believe contentment is one way in our life that we can give glory to God practically. And and when we learn to be content, we show God that we really, truly believe that Jesus, that He is the Lord of our life. And we trust Him completely. 
I want to go over several different points of contentment in the Scriptures. And the first point is that being content gives me the strength to do whatever God gives me to do. Now let's go to Philippians chapter 4. Contentment gives me the strength to do whatever God gives me to do. In Philippians 4, starting at verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It might be that the economy is bad and your business is suffering and you can't really do everything that you used to do and you've got to cut back on your travel. You can't be buying nice things. You can't be eating out. And sometimes it's difficult to accept some of these circumstances and to accept this change in our life. But the question is, can you be content in such circumstances? In these verses that we read, whatever circumstance that the Apostle Paul found himself in, he was confident that he was in the will of God. And I think that this means that whether Paul was sick or healthy, whether he was rich or poor, whether he was hungry or satisfied, Paul accepted the circumstance from the hand of God. I don't know that the Apostle Paul just automatically became content because he was a Christian. Paul had to learn to be content. And I don't believe contentment comes easy. We need to learn. It takes an effort to become content. And how do we how can we learn to be content? Well, contentment it comes by choice. The apostle Paul he chose to be content. And he was content with God's will whatever whatever it was. We also know that whatever circumstance Paul was in whether it was good or bad, he could all do all things through Christ who gave him the strength to do that. And when Paul says, he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives him strength. Paul does not mean that he could do great and amazing things. He doesn't mean he could go out and play professional football or become some important doctor. I know this verse is used a lot to, to claim that we can do great, wonderful physical things and impress other people. But it's not what this scripture means. Paul means that whatever work that God gives him to do, whatever work God gives you to do, that God will give us the grace and the strength to do the work that he's given us to do. Also, if we go through an unpleasant circumstance in our life, the Lord will give us the grace to endure that difficulty. And when, when we, I'm sure we each have our times when we go through unpleasant circumstances. We go through a disease or a chronic condition. And we often pray. We pray and we ask the Lord for mercy. Lord, have mercy on me. Heal me. Take this away from me and then I can give you glory. But the Lord might not answer us with mercy. He might answer with us with grace to endure that affliction that we have and so that we can learn to be content in this trial or in any trial. And we can learn to give glory to God in spite of our circumstance. Second Corinthians chapter 12 Second Corinthians chapter 12, 
And this is when the Apostle Paul had a thorn in his flesh. And he asked the Lord for mercy. And he says in verse 8, first, 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 8. He says, For this thing I besought the Lord three times, that it might depart from me. Lord, he said, take it away. But the Lord said to the Apostle Paul, he says, no, Paul, I will not give you mercy at this time. I will give you grace. You are not going to live out your days. I mean, I mean, he says, you are going to live out your days with this affliction, with this thorn in your flesh. And in verse nine, the Lord said unto Paul, he says, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. When we ask the Lord for mercy, the Lord often answers us with grace. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you. And the Lord Jesus says, I will go with you through this lifelong chronic condition that you have. But you must endure until death does you part. We go along with the grace of God in our troubles, in our afflictions. And and that like Paul, he was going to endure that thorn in his flesh until he died or until the Lord comes. And we, we may be called to do that same thing with whatever situation or circumstance you have find yourself in. You may suffer until the Lord comes. But He wants to bring you to the place where you can give glory to God, where you can be content in the condition, into the circumstance that God has put you. And the strength, the strength of the Lord is made perfect in our lives when we go with the Lord through these trials and this weakness. The Lord Jesus, He offers us His grace because we may need to endure a thorn in the flesh for a very long time. And we need grace, continuing grace. And the problems that we have might never be taken away here in this lifetime. And you might be injured. You might be disabled or poor. Or you might have a disease or be in constant pain. Or maybe you are vulnerable in some other way. But if God tells you to share the gospel, if He tells you to serve the saints, if He tells you to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction, but yet you have your own afflictions, well, God will give you the grace. He'll give you the strength. He'll give you the courage. He'll give you whatever resources you need to do His will. And in spite of the pain, in spite of the disability, in spite of the persecution, We just need to begin the work in faith. And even when the service that the Lord has called us to do, maybe it sounds physically impossible for us when the Spirit of God commands us to do something. He gives us the grace. He gives us the ability. He gives us the strength to do what He asks asks us to do. Some people maybe think it's a a glorious thing to go gallivanting around the world and preaching the gospel and visiting the saints of God. And it must be easy, we think, to be content in such situations. And I say it is a glorious thing, but only if you are doing it in the will of God. If you're doing it on your own strength, your own desires, your own will, it's not going to work out real well. But it does not matter what calling you have. There will be trials. And there will be struggles. There will be disappointments. There will be frustrations that were going to test us. And, and these things can bring, easily bring us into discontentment. We have been tested on our contentment in the mission field when we lived in Africa for many times. We've had thefts 
and there are threats. There's bodily invasion of parasites. There's car breakdowns. There's food poisoning. There's men arising in the assemblies like wolves in sheep clothing, drawing men after themselves and, and taking people away from the assembly. And there are false accusations. There are the incessant beggars. There's corrupt police. And there's dishonest mechanics. We had a mechanic once. And he started coming to our weekly Bible studies. And he told everyone how important it was to listen to what Mr. Roach was saying. And then at one of the Bible studies, he asked a question. He said, what do these verses mean? And he said, in Luke chapter 6, let's look at these. Luke chapter 6. And verse 27. He says, what do these verses mean? But I say unto you, which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them which that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. Pray for them which despitefully use you. Verse 29. And unto him that smiteth thee on the cheek, turn also offer, the, offer also the other cheek. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to him that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. What does this mean? Him that takes away your goods, don't ask for them back again. What do these verses mean? And so I gave everybody at the Bible study, I gave them a wonderfully pious answer, as if I was so forgiving and kind and gracious and full of contentment. And then we found out the reason why the truck kept breaking down is that each time he worked on the truck, he was taking good parts off and putting on some faulty parts. <laughs> and the truck would break down again. Eventually, the truck, it, en- it resulted in a damaged engine and the truck was rendered useless. And that trusted mechanic was not used again. Then that mechanic he gathered together a group of thugs from his village and they attacked the man who tipped us off and told us that he was cheating us and told us about his dishonesty. And as, they, as this man was going home, this group of thugs, they beat him. They beat the informer to a bloody pulp. We sold that truck for enough kwacha. Kwacha is the money they use in Malawi. We sold that truck for enough kwacha to buy another vehicle. And then for several months, I had to learn to be content riding that bicycle. (laughs) And it was blazing hot in that sun, driving 15 kilometers to this assembly, another one to that assembly. And then I used to wonder why the Malawians, they walked their bicycles up the hills. And so I was going to show them how easy it was to pedal a bike up the hill. Then on the first hill I went up, these quality bicycles, they were so cheap the pedal broke off. (laughs) And so that's why they walked their bicycles up the hill. You know, Satan is so busy trying to cultivate discontentment in our hearts that he attacks us with one thing after another after another. He doesn't want you to succeed in following the Lord. He wants to bring in discontentment in your life. Now, I have mentioned some of the simple problems that we have encountered while we were in in Malawi. But even at that, it is not always easy to be content, especially while during those difficult times. We know that back in America, we had a car that never broke down and that they had mashed potatoes and they had lemon meringue pies and Bible conferences. And they have birthday celebrations and there's family celebrations and there's Thanksgiving dinners. And it's so easy to become discontent. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. The Apostle Paul could say, even in spite of his trying circumstances, in whatsoever state I am, I've learned to be content. 
You need to learn to be content. Contentment doesn't just come naturally. And it takes energy and determination. And it takes a choice to learn to be content. We each have our own calling by God to do a ministry, to serve Him, to serve the Lord. And in this ministry that we each have been given, yours may be different from mine, but in this, but we, each of us has been given a ministry. And in that ministry that we each have been given, we find that we each have our own set of circumstances that we need to deal with. And I know that some of you have some very difficult circumstances that you have to deal with. And I'm sure a lot more of you that I don't know have difficult circumstances to deal with in your health, in your university schooling, in your jobs, and in your marriage relationships, and in your finances, and so many other problems that we can have um, difficulties. Can we learn to be content in these trying circumstances? You know, some of us aren't really as personable as others, or as exciting, or as smart. Maybe we're not as athletic as others. And we might think that we're less of a person because of it. And we become discontent. And our soul begins to roar within us, like the verse we started with in Psalm 38, verse 8. I am feeble and I'm sore broken and I have roared by reason of the disquietness in my heart. You may not be happy with your looks. You might, you, your, your time might be consumed by trying to improve your looks. Or you might be jealous over how good someone else looks. Or how strong they are. You might be concerned about someone more, has more talent than you. But let me tell you that good looks are only skin deep. And if you have a contentious person, if there's a contentious, beautiful woman, the beauty, it's kind of like hypocrisy. And it's the beauty in the soul that is important. And we need to learn to be content with such things as we have, without trying to get something more than what God has given to us. And we may roar again in the disquietness of our, in the dis, we may roar again in our disquietness and our disquietude, and we might become discontent and we might say, what does the Apostle Paul know about my unique situation? I have every right to be discontent. And for example, you might say, if Paul was in my assembly, he would understand and make an exception, an exemption for my case. Because if you look at my assembly, there's no young people. And there are some people there in that assembly that I cannot forgive. And there's some people in that assembly I can't love. I deserve something better. And so I cannot be content there. And with discontent like this, it's easy to leave the assembly and to go to some other congregation where they have perfect Christians and they're lovable people and they're forgivable people. And there's so many Christians with and there's so many congregations with some 21st century young people. And they cater to the young people. And they entertain us. But whatever you do, wherever you go, you cannot get rid of your bitterness until you learn to be content in whatever state you find yourself. I think of Paul and Silas in one of their worst circumstances that we read about. They had been arrested for Christ's sake. And they were whipped until their backs were bleeding and they were raw. And then they were thrown into the deepest, darkest, dirtiest, dampest, stinkiest, slimiest cell in the prison. And their feet were put fast in the stalks. And they had the open wounds on their backs. 
And how could they lie down and rest? And yet out of this darkness, out of this dark cell, the Philippian jailer, he heard joy and contentment emanating out of the dungeon cell. As Paul and Silas sang praises unto God. And so the first point that we have learned about is that being content is necessary for us to do the work of God. And so let us be content to serve the Lord, like it says in Psalm 100, let us serve the Lord with gladness and come before his presence with singing. The next point we want to look at is in 1 Timothy 6. And this point is that contentment preserves us from temptation, sin, and sorrow. Contentment preserves us from temptation, sin, and sorrow. And let's read 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 down to 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptations and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which is sin, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Here we find that we should be content with whatever possessions that the Lord has given to us. And we should not desire to have more and more and more. But that is hard in this life, in this country that we live in. Because whether we're in North America or in Africa, whether we are rich or we are poor, we want more. And we want the best. And we want what others have. It looks so good to us. And we strive to get those things. And it is so easy easy to be consumed with the desire for more. And this can often just controls our thoughts. In Matthew chapter... Matthew chapter 6. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6. And verse 31. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek after. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. Then Matthew Matthew points us back to contentment in verse 33. And this says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. God has promised that he will give us the necessary things in life if we put Jesus as Lord first in our life. We don't need to worry and strive for earthly riches if we have Jesus as our Lord. And let us be content with food and shelter and clothing without having envy and lust and jealousy. We don't need to have a mortgage on the most elegant house. We don't need to have the most luxurious car that we can get a loan for. We don't need to have success above all our peers. Because the love of money, money's not wrong. We're told to use our money wisely. But the love of money to get those things can lead us into temptation and sin and sorrow. Just like we already read in 1 Timothy chapter 6. When we achieve those things that we strive for, we find it doesn't bring us happiness. And because then we need some more 
to entertain us. We need more to satisfy us. And then there's no end in this world of music and money and and movies. And there's no end to the drugs and the tattoos and the video games and the sports and entertainment that attracts our hearts and our minds. We can try to be content without godliness. But there's no gain in that. And we can be certain that all the money and the possessions and the entertainment that we strive for here on this earth, we can be sure that we can't take it with us. Because we came into this world with nothing. And we're going to go go out with nothing. True godliness with contentment will store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. From these verses, we also learn that in order to be truly godly men and women, we must also be truly contented men and women. And it doesn't matter what our circumstances are. I believe a Christian has no right to be discontent. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Let's go to Hebrews 13. Our next point is that contentment gives us the sense of the Lord's presence with us and takes away fear and loneliness. Contentment gives us the sense of the Lord's presence and his Lord, a sense of the Lord's presence with us and it takes away fear and loneliness. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5 and 6. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he saith, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may not, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Contentment will help us to overcome our fears. The verse says, be content. The Lord will never leave you. And He is your helper. The Lord has made every provision for us to be able to overcome our fears and our loneliness. Are there any lonely people here today? When we are single, we might think that If I could only just get married, I would no longer be lonely. And then I would be content. Can we be content being single? After we're married, sometimes we tend to look to our husband for all the love and the support and the fulfillment that we need to function every day. But we find that our husband doesn't measure up to what we expected him to be. And then we're disappointed. And then we feel lonely in our marriage. Or as a husband, we look to our wife to satisfy our every need. And when it doesn't happen, we might feel lost and empty and disappointed. And we have fears in these relationships when we're not satisfied. And sometimes these fears, they make us do things or say things that we might regret later on. And we cannot live up to the fullness of Christ. You know, only Christ can fully satisfy. We can't fully satisfy one another in a marriage. But only Christ can satisfy. And He will never disappoint us. And so we must look to Christ for our fulfillment. And in spite of our loneliness and our weakness and our fears, we can still triumph in Christ. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. 
Second Corinthians 2, verse 14. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Although we are not the fulfillment of our husband or wife, we can learn to be content in our marriage relationships with Christ by our side. And if you expect your husband or your wife to completely fulfill your needs, you're not going to be content. But when we look to Christ and we look to him for our fulfillment, it's going to help us to function in our marriages. And so through Christ, we can have a successful marriage and we'll be able to and Christ will help us to overcome our loneliness and our fears. Now, verse 15. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. I just want to apply these verses in this way. Are you a sweet savor to your wife? Are you a sweet savor of Christ to your husband? We should be. In our own strength, In our own strength, we're not sufficient for these things. But in Christ, He is the all-sufficient One. And we can learn to be content in all our relationships and our circumstances that that we find ourselves in. And our our verse says to be content with such things as we have. I ask you, are you content with the wife that you have or content with the husband that you have or your children? Are you content to be single? Are you content with your job, your wages, the size of your assembly, your abilities, your looks, your personality? Any one of these things can give us an inferiority complex. And it might make us to be lonely. We might even become depressed. There's a lot of depression in this world. A lot of loneliness. A lot of fears. But when we have Christ, we have the greatest riches that a person could have. And in Christ, we have a perfect security. We have a perfect protection. And we have a perfect peace. We need to take time every day to appreciate what the Lord Jesus, what He has done for us, and who He is, and how He loves you, and how, and we need to take time to commune with the Lord Jesus, and to read the Bible, and to pray, and to meditate. And as we develop a relationship with the Lord Jesus, we can learn to be content in our situations in our daily life. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 12 for our next point. And here we see that contentment and God's grace go hand in hand. And in this verse, the word sufficient, it means to be content. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 and 10, read these verses again. He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. That sufficient is contentment. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. When we realize our own weakness, our own nothingness, That is when we will depend more upon the power of God. We will find that His grace is sufficient for whatever we need. And His grace will will enable us to be content even in our infirmities 
and the reproaches and persecutions and the distress, whatever distress or dis- or that we have. In all these things, we'll be able to be content when we look to Christ. We sometimes have problems having grace with our brethren. And that makes us discontent. And then when we're discontent, we start to criticize our brothers and sisters in Christ. We criticize their dress and their friends and their hair and their service for the Lord and their motives and their beliefs. And then we expect everyone to live up to our own standards. And often, there's no scripture to support our standards that we're trying to get people to live up to. And I believe that if we were content with the sufficiency of Christ in our own lives, and we were content to allow the Spirit of God to work in our brethren at their own pace, I think we would not criticize our brethren and we would not pass on discontentment to others. Sometimes we have a a legal tendency to force our beliefs on others. For example, we may have a correct understanding of the truth of being gathered to the Lord's name. I know in the reading meeting we talk about truth. But truth isn't just one facet of the scriptures. Truth is all-encompassing. But we may have a correct understanding of the truth of being gathered to the Lord's name. And I can choose to teach this truth in a gracious manner, as the Word of God presents it. But when I demand that other Christians understand it and believe it, and practice it the way I do, or the way I understand. And I, and I neglect the vital importance of teaching other truths. And I put one truth above another truth. And then I take anybody to task who does not see it as I do. And then I might tend to ostracize you because you don't believe the way I do. And I might ostracize you until you conform to my demands. And when I do that, I'm in danger of becoming a heretic, as we learned yesterday in the, in the reading meetings. As in all Christian truth, to practice truth in any capacity, it takes a step of faith. And if I force you to accept and to practice according to my faith, then conformity, it will become legality. And we know what it says in Galatians about legality. Let's look at that. In Galatians chapter 5, in verse 9. I know this is a young people's meeting, but I think... All of us can be young at heart and we all need to learn some of these things. And Galatians 5 verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. The whole assembly can be contaminated by the heresy of one. And I have seen it happen. This verse is a powerful testimony to the destructive character of legality. For someone to demand legal standards, it can breed discontent and can breed leaven in the whole assembly. You know, being gathered to the Lord's name is a truth that I believe. And I enjoy it. And I hold it vitally dear. And I teach it very strongly. But I I have had to learn to be content to teach it with grace. And to not demand conformity. And when we recognize God's grace to us. And we see his grace working in our lives. 
And then we extend that same grace to our fellow believers. That's going to help everyone to be more content. We know that Paul often started his letters and sometimes he ended the letters to the various assemblies and the people he wrote to with a call for grace. Grace and peace. Why did he call for grace? Because we need to have grace with one another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, this is an example of the verses that Paul writes to just about every assembly. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 3, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. You might be content in one or two areas of your life, but perhaps you might be deficient in another area of your life. Well, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient for us to help to help us to be content in all circumstances. Our next point, 2 Corinthians 9. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 to 8. This brings us to our next point, that contentment is promised for a generous and a cheerful giver. You know, it's, we always want to get. We always want to get something for ourselves and to be blessed. But in reality, the blessing is not in getting for ourselves, but the blessing is in giving to others. And in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 to 8, He which sows sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which sows bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. That you, having always all sufficiency, that's contentment, having all contentment in all things, may abound to every good work. Generosity is not giving our extra cash. Generosity might be a sacrifice. And if a person is generous... God will give you the opportunity to be generous. And God is able to supply us with resources so that we will not only have sufficiency or contentment for ourselves, but so that we'll be able to share with others those things that we have. And generosity isn't always about money because it can be time spent with someone. It can be a listening ear can be a service done for someone. And I think that we can conclude from these verses that when we have a generous, a generous attitude and that we're looking for ways to help others, that God promises that it will increase our own sufficiency. It will increase our own contentment. I believe... That contentment is one of the keys to help you walk a happy, productive Christian life. Contentment is in our life is one way that we can give glory to God practically. And so I just want to review the five or six points that we've had today about contentment. The first one is being content gives me strength to do whatever job that the Lord gives me to do. The second one, contentment preserves us from temptation, sin, and sorrow. And the third one, is contentment gives us the sense of the Lord's presence and takes away the fear and loneliness. And the fourth one is contentment and God's grace go hand in hand. And the last point is that contentment is promised for a generous and a cheerful giver. And so by learning to be content, we show God that we truly believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of our life and that we trust Him 
completely. Let's sing hymn number 195. Worthy of homage and of praise, worthy by all to be adored, exhaustless theme of heavenly lays, thou, thou art worthy, Jesus Lord. As with a contented heart, let's sing number 195. Worthy of